In the darkest corners of the podcast dungeon, you have come across another goddamn horror podcast. With Graham Faye, Jonas Barnes, and Ryan Dan. Welcome everybody to yet another goddamn horror podcast. I am one of your hosts. I am Ryan Danley, coming to you from a cloudy uh, kind of uh, I don't know, meh Portland, Oregon day. It looks like um, it looks like uh, like a fucking Tim Burton movie out here, which is you know. Uh, so that makes today like an odds of it being like one out of every eight being decent. Um, <laughs> my little tim burton jab how's it going in uh how's it going in brooklyn graham um it's fine it's cold it got real cold real quick um i thought i was gonna die i was outside for about two minutes last night at like two in the morning and uh it, it was brutal um and it's just cloudy and gross oh graham, go I'm, I'm gonna blow your fucking mind here man. i'm gonna go blow for your it mind. they make shirts that have sleeves I, i've heard of <laughs> such a thing um, I, I, I mean, you, I, I, I mean, it's I like, heard they come with super long ones that go down. Yeah, to some your of wrist them come, 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 come all the way to your wrist. <laughs> I gotta like, look into those, like behind, like, and you can almost be like a cool goth kid and like, um, and get ones that are really long and you can cut thumb holes in it and you can uh, put it behind it. That's it's actually really a cool. great idea. And then you hang out by like the smoking area, like your high school, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's pretty cool. Just, then. My smoking area is just by the trash. <laughs> outside the building Jonas how's the other side of Brooklyn oh you know the other side of Brooklyn's just cold um cold cloudy but you know I can't complain um it's uh it's my type of weather I'm into it have you heard of these sleeves on shirts you heard of us <laughs> I you know I I have um I have to I, I just actually busted out the hoodie for the first time in a mm. while so it's yeah it's getting there I, I have a champion hoodie but like, like, what's cool about Champion is I've lived through two two different Champion eras. I lived in like New York hardcore early '90s Champion era hoodies, like Gorilla Biscuits, like you know Champion era, and now it's like coming back. So like, you know, like I'm like, oh cool. But like, I'm also like now like a like a like a mid '40s dude walk, walking around and like a kid. It's pretty dope. You know what I mean? Like, um, <laughs> if, you, if you dress like you're 16, you'll never grow old. Um. Well, we have like we could continue talking about this, or we could talk to um, our absolutely incredible guest that we have here. What do you guys think? You guys think we should just keep talking about clothing, or should we maybe oh, guest? <laughs> I'm tired of getting bagged on for not having sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, um, welcome to the show, um, Lucian, Lucian, what, what what would you call yourself? What do you what do you call yourself? What what is your what is your job? I am the co-founder of and spokesperson for the Satanic Temple, and I'm also the front person for the superstar band Satanic Planet with yes. Justin Pearson, Dave Lombardo, and Luke Kenshaw. That's got to be like such a great thing, like it's such a great like like perk of being with the satanic temple and like getting to go like jump in this band with like 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 legends like those guys you know, we had justin on the show and uh um i've been a big fan of his work since uh 
since the struggle days. And he's, um, he's just such a legit guy. And that's got to be so fun to work with those guys and do that. Yeah, it was the result of me having done an interview with the UK Metal Magazine, and they were asking me what bands I like, and I had thrown in Dead Cross, and then Justin reached out. And I had been a huge fan of a lot of his projects for a long time, too. So he came around to do a podcast interview with me in Salem, and then it was there. He came with Luke, who does Planet B with him. And then somewhere in the course of chatting, we talked about doing a project, and uh, originally it was going to be spoken word and then we just started working on music and Dave Lombardo jumped in and now it's a whole whole project when it was going to be just a one-off thing. It, it's so good that any of our listeners who haven't checked it out, please go check out the Satanic Planet. Um, like it's such like a perfect fall record. Like you get up in the, in the, in the Pacific Northwest and like drive to work in the morning and you like, you throw that on and it's so like spot on. It is like, it, it's just like, it, it, it hits like all the right notes. You guys killed it on that. Yeah, we threw yeah, it out. I gotta for say, I think I think we really mastered the uh, the low BPM, hardcore grinding, uh, kind of just relentless driving type type sounds. That you know, we started out with really low BPM type backgrounds, and to hear them evolve into something that was just raucous and, and horrifying. It was really gratifying, you know. For sure, for I feel sure. like it, it takes. I think like it takes something different to do it for in the low BPM than it does to, for something that's like 200 BPM per minute. For sure, yeah. For sure. It's like a ritual. Like it's it, it. It feels like like a brutal ritual throughout the whole thing. I love it. Um. So so you um, but. Did you have music experience before that, or was it just like that was your first? Not with vocals, and I yeah. I, uh, I didn't take too many risks with the vocals on the first album, you know. Right. So I really felt out of my depth there. Right. But I had messed around a lot with electronic noise and uh, doing my own independent soundtracking of silent films and other things I didn't really release, but experimented with and. You know, there's another guest vocalist from the Satanic Temple on the Satanic Planet album, Shiva Honey. And she and I had worked on stuff and had done a couple live shows before where we actually did live soundtracking, electronic soundtracking uh, for, you know, silent film. And uh, but this, you know, a project of this magnitude is this is something entirely different. I mean, you got to walk into that room with those with those people and be like, wow. This is this is the deep end of uh, of of recording and doing art because those guys are all very um, um, yeah, experienced. Yeah, but but we immediately worked together really well, and it sure. was kind of amazing because we were going to do this spoken word material. So I had this stuff written up, and then Luke and I start exchanging these sound samples, and they're getting more musical and structured. And I was too reserved when i was alone you know to really lay down much so we got into the studio uh and there's already buzz around this idea that we're making an album so we had to make good on something you know so i was nervous about it and then we get in the studio i had no idea what i was doing and i'm just listening to these parts and trying to put vocals to it so i was kind of writing the vocals in real time while we're in the studio and then going into the, we're plugging this stuff in into the sound booth and then constructing it on the spot. 
you know, so it was kind of a fast process, but we also just kind of agreed really fast on what was sounding good together and what was working and that kind of thing. And so, you know, it's like if I get on a Fox News interview or something, you're really nervous to do it, but you know if you're reserved or if you show nervousness or if you kind of hold back in ways that are counterproductive, you're going to ruin it. So, you know, I just had to suddenly risk looking like a complete fool going into the sound booth and trying to lay down vocals, but couldn't let that stop me either. You were like, and I think yeah. it worked out. Oh, I think I think it worked out uh, amazingly, and and I agree with For that. Sure. It's, it's true with like all our as uh, as Jonas can attend to too. Even with like you know like stand up, it's like you got to go up there and put it all out, or or it just doesn't. They they just won't connect with you, and it's a. I mean, that's a big part of art is like not being, it's like, I call it the uh, dropping in on a, on a half pipe thing. You know what I mean? Like if you pull back, you, you, you're going to eat it. You're going <laughs> to eat it. The board, the board's going to, you have to commit, you know what I mean? So it's like all the, all those things. It's like, uh, I'm sure there's like some life lesson in there, but eh, lear- learning's hard. You the know, skateboarding uh, lesson's also, good enough. <laughs> with comedy too, it's like you jump up there and it's, it's, everything is like, it's whatever until you get that first laugh. Once you get that first laugh, it's fine. But before that, you're, it's still like, all right, how deep is this water that I'm in? Like, you know, <laughs> You never know. Each you know each audience exactly. is different on it. Exactly. And you're you're. Are you doing another album? Oh yeah, yeah. We're working on another album. We're we're kind of a little behind on what we had planned there because uh, uh, everybody was really excited about the idea of working on a second album right away. And uh, Lombardo, you know, was has been really hyped about working on the second album, which is great because the guy's That's working on so cool. many projects. He's a really you know, famous and talented musician and just the same, you know, he's really excited to get to work on the second satanic planet album, because this time he's going to be working with us during the creative process. On the first one, we pretty much laid everything out. He came in after the fact and really, he really made a difference in the final mixes and everything else, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't there at the point where we were actually writing the material. So we've already laid down some new tracks for the new album and having his creative input is a whole new uh, dimension now for satanic planet. That's really, I think going to take it over the top. And I've had more time to think about and experiment more with vocals and things like that. So I think the second one is going to be, uh, you know, as much as I love the first one, I'm proud of how it turned out. I think the second one is going to be, much better and um, i'm really excited for it yeah that's awesome i'm super excited for it too yeah me too um and i mean like uh dave lombardo i mean his his history speaks for itself and i think what over almost gets overlooked is just how wicked talented he is as a as a musician and and i've seen him play a few times and uh and i'm amazed at how his you know his metal fans can treat him like shit for expanding his scope outside of drumming because he only did live drums on one track for the satanic planet album. Right. And here's some people crying about that to me is just amazing. It's like, if you want to listen to Slayer again, nobody's stopping you. This isn't a Slayer again, but <laughs> there's you know, plenty right. of it. There is plenty yeah. of it. <laughs> there's like, yeah. there's, there's plenty of Slayer. Um, and <laughs> like, um, yeah, like uh, metal fans, um, I, like, 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 
Sorry, Graham, but <laughs> like to complain, like to complain. You know what I mean? Nothing's ever good enough and nothing's ever, you know what I mean? But I think all purists are like that. I think purist is just another like term for oh, dis- I, I was gonna disappointed. Say that, that every, scene, every scene has its purists like that. It's uh, it's type of fundamentalist, you know? Exactly. <laughs> that, exactly. I am in no way a purist. <laughs> must work within these defined confines of a genre. How do you grow from that? Yeah, my favorite bands are the ones that put out albums that don't sound like anything like the what they've put out before. Like I love the progression in in especially metal because now with all the subgenres, you can mix so many different types of genres to make something cool and new and exciting. So yeah, I that uh, weird kind, puritanism is weird. Go what, ahead, sorry. What, what what kind of stuff do you listen to in general? Me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious. I really love the avant stuff, avant noise. Uh, you know, uh, I, I really liked avant industrial. And by that, I mean the really kind of experimental things where you're listening to sounds and you don't know where they came from, you know, yeah. but they set a really interesting kind of environment with the, you know, the, the looped grooves they create or whatever else, making musicality out of chaos. I, Really like that kind of stuff. I go through different phases when I'm listening to stuff. I can listen to everything from uh, from classical to industrial to more mainstream rock. Uh, I guess if we're talking really uh, going out of bounds, the only kind of country I've ever appreciated would be Johnny Cash or uh, the the senior. Uh, What's his face? Um, Hank oh, Williams. That, yeah, the senior Hank Williams. Hank Williams Jr., I don't know. Uh, talent really skipped a generation, but uh, <laughs> the third has done some some stuff that yep. I guess, you know, is, yep. that sounds worth hearing. But, um, you know, I try to appreciate whatever I can. You know, yeah. like, I'm not yeah. one of those types who, just because it's like a Hollywood blockbuster mo- movie that I feel I'm obligated to hate it, or because it's top 40, I'm obligated to hate it. But I have to say, for the most part, I hate those things. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hear you there. I, you know, everybody's always surprised. I mean, we're, we're, dude, we're horror fans. We embrace the we embrace the low budget. We embrace the the non-blockbusters all the time. Like, that's, <laughs> that's what we oh, love. We're also it's big fans of, like, the big... And when it comes to stand-up comedy, sometimes there's... Nothing sadistically I like more than to see somebody absolutely die on stage. <laughs> the dumbest jokes. Uh, well, yeah. Some of my well, favorite you... YouTube videos are people just totally failing on stage. There's <laughs> one where a guy gets up there and he just starts talking about how his, uh, how his girlfriend broke up with him and he's taking it day by day. And there's nothing funny about what he's saying, yet it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> You should follow, follow me around. For a joke, and this guy just kind of shitting on the entire party. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, although I think as comedians, we've all been there. So uh, some of us more than others, uh, like myself. But um, but it's a uh, it's a uh, no. I get it. It's a um, a good bomb is, uh, is 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 good for the soul. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, sometimes sometimes you gotta you gotta just you gotta roll with it. You know what I mean? Like you gotta get off and be like, okay, well that was that. You know what I mean? I got that. Uh, I got that out of the way. Um, so on the Satanic Temple, um, 
if people are unfamiliar at this point, which is, um, you know, I'm sorry if you are, if any of our listeners are unfamiliar, and this is going to be like probably the most standard question you'll get out of this entire interview or discussion. Um, what is what is what is Satanism and what is it not? Well, I mean, there's a lot of people who try to claim the title of true Satanist. And yeah. as soon as the Satanic Temple was founded in 2013, you know, the Church of Satan founded in in 1966 were claiming that we were imposters, of course, because they're the only true Satanists and they, they codified it. And, you know, they're, they're kind of a fake organization that's just a Twitter feed at this point, uh, pretending to be the old satanic, uh, the old Church of Satan from 1966. So it's kind of ironic, but, um, you know, it's like saying that one sect of Christianity is true Christianity. And, you know, bothering to get into that argument at all shows some kind of attachment, I guess, to one or the other. And those kinds of claims to authenticity generally don't mean to anybody outside the group. And I think it's kind of juvenile for somebody to say there's no other way to look at this, especially in Satanism, when you have this long history of Christians insisting that the only true Satanism would be theistic and would be a kind of uh, veneration of cruelty and uh, an anti-human behavior and and whatever it is that's considered Christian, they're against it type of thing. But we're a non-theistic religious religious group, which means we don't venerate a personal Satan. We don't believe in Satan as a supernatural deity. But Satan kind of contextualizes our beliefs, the way we order ourselves in the world, our ethics, uh, the kind of community that we rally to um, as an icon and a set of iconography. And it says a lot about where we fall in the kind of foundational socio-political myth, the idea that there is an ultimate higher power uh, that everybody needs to worship and venerate. And we feel that's indicative of a whole kind of social order in which uh, people live under a theocratic rule. And I think we're seeing a rise in theocratic efforts in the United States and in the world today, which kind of, I think, uh, in a lot of people's minds, makes it more intuitive as to what the value of non-theistic Satanism is and where we fall on certain issues. And I think, you know, the rise of Donald Trump and things like that, the rise of the theocratic movement in the United States has really contributed to the growth of Satanism and the growth of the Satanic Temple today. Because I do kind of think we would just be viewed as, a, as an obscure and bizarre uh, kind of cultural movement that people might not pay as much attention to if it weren't for the necessity of our kind of political activism now, which is what we're mostly known for, where, um, you know, uh, politicians are trying to pander to evangelicals mostly by opening up. Uh, public forums to religious voices and add more uh, uh, add more privileges to religious claims and that kind of thing. And, you know, by constitutional law, if you offer certain benefits to one religion, they must be equally available to others. And that's where the satanic temple comes in. They will say, 
okay, if you're putting up your Ten Commandments monument on public grounds, we're putting up our Baphomet monument, a satanic monument alongside of it. And of course, the politicians that move for the Ten Commandments monument to go up, uh, they try to keep us out, which isn't constitutional. And, and we kind of highlight that diminished religious liberty in their efforts by asking for equal treatment at all. And so that's what's really put the satanic temple on the map and has forced people to consider the limits of religious liberty and uh, to consider the meaning of Satanism in general now, um, you know, learning different things about what Satanism means to people who actually practice it, as opposed to what they learned in the 80s and 90s during the hysteria of the satanic panic when everybody thought we were hiding backwards messages and music uh, engaging in infant sacrifice and using mobile crematoriums, which uh, disposed of all the evidence, you know, and had this uh, new world order movement. Uh, the whole QAnon uh, conspiracy narrative existed well before QAnon. It just kind of took the, uh, the Trumpism slant in recent times. Yeah. It's um, and I think that, um, and, the, and I'm glad you bring that up because really a lot of people don't realize that QAnon is basically an extension of the, is like the new leg of the, of the satanic panic that it's like, it is really just like every so often they reform these ideas and remarket it when it's, when it gets exhausted, you, you know, as a, you know, when everybody's like, Oh, okay, well there aren't really preschools with like flying preschool teachers like and underground caverns that's not like a real thing um so how can we now change this up to to make it to a um um you know more palatable yeah but at the point where you have people in dealey plaza waiting for the re-emergence of jfk jr after his death <laughs> in 1999 <laughs> to come take the reins of uh, of uh, the the empire of the united states and hand it back to donald trump you can't say it's any less crazy. Oh, I don't think it's any less crazy. I, th I think it's, I just think it's, it's, it's repackaged crazy. You know what I mean? Like, I think that it's like, as a, as a, it's just like, okay, well that sounds, the, the preschool sounds crazy to us now, but now we're going to do the, uh, um, uh, uh, now we're going to, now we're going to be like, like, yeah, like there's a magical JFK. G I, I don't know. Like it's like yeah, it's so a lot of people don't want to face the fact that the original satanic panic, if you want to call it original and not just an extension of older witch hunts too, right. but the satanic yeah. panic of the '80s and '90s actually had a strong left wing component to it, mm -hmm. and there were a lot of people who identified as as uh, feminists at the time who had a different conception of feminism than you recognizes feminism today they were very they were very anti-sex work they were very yeah. anti-porn and they wanted people to realize that women had been abused children had been abused and people weren't acknowledging that and that's a noble cause and it turned into that type of thing where any claim of such needed to be accepted at face value because the idea was that these claims were often not false which was probably true and they were often ignored, which was also probably true. But as soon as the conspiracy theorists realize that any claim can be made and taken at face value so long as you attach this claim of abuse upon it, they take advantage of that. And that's why you see QAnon now jumping on to believe the children and 
saying that at the end of the day, they're just trying to protect children from child trafficking and stuff like that. That was an old tactic of the 80s and 90s satanic panic. In those, in the old school of the 80s and 90s satanic panic, a lot of them are still around and they've still been promoting these ideas. And they're appalled by the the Trumpism, the the political persuasion now of of the resurgent uh, satanic panic latching on to QAnon. So I think, you know, we need to be vigilant no matter what side of the political spectrum we're on and be sure that we're actually looking at the best available evidence or we'll see this stuff happen again and again, moving back and forth on the on the political spectrum to either extreme side. And uh, and right now it just happens to be the far right Trumpers. Yeah, and uh, over Graham. Oh, no, I was just going to say it's the the kind of going back to the activism. That's what sort of got me into the, the satanic temple was for a long time. You know, I was drawn to to Satanism and, and and Satan just as sort of aesthetically like I would carve pentagrams into desks in high school and stuff like it always felt more comfortable. I've always been very anti-religious, but it also when I sort of started learning about the Church of Satan I realized I, I shared a lot of ideals, but also it they seemed mean-spirited. And so I just sort of considered myself an atheist. Um, then you moved I, on to carving pentagrams into other school <laughs> children's foreheads. <laughs> exactly. No, and then I saw Hail Satan, the documentary, and, and what drew me to the, the Satanic Temple was the activism and, and the actual like boots to the ground, like doing something positive it just felt supernatural not super but you know very natural and um it, it was like we became members me and my wife uh and we i surprised her with a membership actually and she was thrilled um so yeah it's the activism right yeah my, my thinking is why would you join an organization if it doesn't serve some kind of organized purpose if we weren't organizing yeah. to do something good if we weren't organizing to uh, advance our rights in the world, why, why would we want anybody to even identify with us and perhaps just make themselves a pariah in the community? And at that point, you're just going to attract people who are using it theatrically like that, just to piss off yeah. their parents, uh, scare their neighbors, that kind of thing. And I think that's the kind of market you would find within the Church of Satan despite whatever mm-hmm. efforts they were putting forward, just because if you're not doing anything, what else is it good for? And they, they famously uh, attach themselves to a do-nothing philosophy. They, they, they argue all the time that politics has no place in religion and vice versa. And to the point that, you know, on the face of it, you'll agree as a secularist, but at the point where, you know, you have initiatives in place that, limit your religious freedom because somebody else's religious freedom is viewed to be uh, somehow uh, more powerful than yours. You know, when you see Christianity becoming this super category to the point where it has this unique ability to engage in, in speech, in free speech in a public forum, or it has the unique ability to uh, impose reproductive rights restrictions and other such things there comes a time where you have to say that you know 
in order for me as an individual to, you know, respect my religion or be able to practice it or feel comfortable, you know, in this society, you know, you need to take a stand. You need to take a stand for secularism. You need to take a stand for that separation of church and state, not just simply say, oh, well, because we're a religious organization, we're leading by example by not doing anything about did I cut out or something? Yeah, you're going yeah, on. You, you you're got, back now. You, yeah, you're back now. You got muted for a second. Oh, sorry. I just went on this. Uh, I just went on this great Florida tirade. <laughs> no, it's really it. laid things out. Most kind of uh, most coherent and uh, <laughs> and, and understandable. But no. I guess we're just going to have to imagine it. Well, it yeah, was well, amazing. You, <laughs> what we heard was um, <laughs> you brought up the. Uh, uh, the separation of churches and state, which, you know, I guess, like you said, the, the church of Satan was like, well, no, religion and, and politics have nothing to do with each other, but they 100% do. Like there's elected officials screaming about uh, how America is a Christian nation and, and it's printed on our money and all this stuff. So it's a hundred percent now intertwined. So as somebody who like grew up like I, like uh, um, in um, punk rock movement, and I and uh, and so, you know I gotta say like like uh, hats off to you. There's been a lot of talk about how do we battle Christian supremacy in this country from a lot of different angles, from like early metal for some reason, not so much newer metal, um, and you know. Like, I think that, you, like, what, what I appreciate with the Satanic Temple and your vision is, is the, you've taken, like, what was, what I viewed as, like, bad about Satanism. Like, I've always, like, appreciated Satanism, and I've always, like, um, you know, like, loved, you know, I've always put 666 on stuff, and I've carved my share of pentagrams and stuff, and every, every password and name i use and my my aol name was demon ryan 666 um you know and i've always used it but when i actually like was around like kind of like you know we we i won't name them because it's just not worth it but there's a there's a big satan uh church of satan guy in portland and and like and i appreciate some of the stuff but he's also like kind of a big fan of like nazis and uh and and you know like these questionable feelings about like pedophilia and things like you know what i mean like and so like then you go okay well the, 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 there's evil and then there's like fucking like evil evil you know what i mean and so i appreciate that i feel like the satanic temple has 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 you know separated themselves from like that sort of like predatory sort of like oppressiveness because like in and of itself like there's supporting evil and then they're supporting like the the evil that will you know i don't know does that make sense does it what i well if you want to get really into the history of modern satanism the brilliance of anton levey was supposed to be that he took these terrible ideas and removed the bad elements from them the counterproductive uh really regressive elements and just took the good and uh and tried to turn it into a positive philosophy of self-empowerment and improvement and he did that by taking this social darwinist text might is right from the 1800s late 1800s and it was this racialist social darwinist manifesto that said all these horrific things 
And he took out these elements that were anti-religious and pro-individualist and took kind of like this core social Darwinist philosophy and removed the racialism and things like that. And in his mind, he distilled it into the useful aspects of it, which were that, you know, you have to treat the world as this kind of cutthroat tooth and claw environment where the strong overcome the weak and you need to be you need to be among the strong and powerful for your own good and realize that people's motivations are selfish and that type of thing and you know earlier on in my life I agreed with that that matched with what I had seen about the world and later on I came to disagree with that as well and you know so LeVay kind of took from what looks to be this racist extreme right book and in a lot of people's minds liberalized it. And there's a lot of people in the Church of Satan still who have a very liberal take on politics, but they still believe that the world is kind of, you know, the social environment is this cutthroat, brutal world where altruism doesn't exist and that everybody, even if they're acting altruistically, are acting upon their own selfish desires for recognition and that kind of thing. And they feel that this helps them manage the brutality of the world around them. I'm, I'm talking about the liberal elements of the Church of Satan. But also, of course, the fact that there's those roots of that philosophy coming from a book like Might is Right uh, does also still draw a lot of people who would have sympathies towards extreme right wing stuff too and in fact it just it, it can just uh it can just attract people who like to be shocking and like to look at the extremes one way or the other so you do have elements of that too and it's a, it, but it's a very complicated world to navigate sure. modern satanism and then we come along and we say no we think altruism and compassion do exist and the the research regarding evolution and reciprocal altruism and things like that show that we really have developed cooperative tendencies. And that's what's really helped us to thrive and evolve further. And we are uh, very much social animals. And that doesn't take anything away from our Satanism being a left-hand path religion, which is about improving oneself as an isolated intelligence, not about yielding to this idea of a uniform one or wholeness or whatever else but you can still be a community you can still work collectively together to preserve individual rights and the ability of individuals to engage with the world on their own terms and that's what we do so we don't feel like we're taking away from satanism in any way in fact if you look more at early Satanism and the romantic Satanic movement in literature, Byron, Shelley, and political activists from that kind of literary movement, you'll see that there were a lot of socialistic tendencies and the idea of Satanism, Satan as a liberator against a kind of uh, uh, tyrannical dictator as kind of a motivating icon against an oppressive uh, kind of social framework. So I feel like we're kind of more of a continuation of those earlier concepts of Satanism. And it's really, I feel, the Levian uh, pro-police state uh, kind of pro-autocracy 
philosophies that are really kind of an aberration in that in that modern satanic thread. We actually had uh, Zandora LeVay on the show, um, and she's a friend. And she had nothing but good things to say about you guys and you specifically. Um, she absolutely adores you. Um, but uh, oh yeah, she well, also- we love her too. She was recently uh, she was recently back in Salem uh, doing a performance for one of our events. Yeah, she did it for the Halloween weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, and she she came out of of Levee and Satanism, and there's a lot of people come out of Levee and Satanism and do not see um, the Satanic Temple as being so bizarre from what they uh, from what they believe, because the overriding, I think, the overriding principle is being able to adjust yourself to the best available evidence. It's not hanging on like a fundamentalist to a yeah. social Darwinist philosophy when it isn't shown to work. And I think it's, it's kind of ironic that I feel like that was the overriding principle in LeVay's philosophy. And now LeVay has a bunch of people who hang on to, you know, the words he said, like fundamentalists and are unable to revise their thinking in the face of reality and new evidence. And I think that that does more to, uh, uh, to dishonor him than anything else. There was, you know, a, there are people who knew LeVay who I've talked to. Adam Parfrey, who used to run Feral House Books, he's, he's since deceased, and other people who, who knew him, interviewed him, or whatever. And some of them seemed to feel that he would like what we were doing. And I know other people in the Satanic Temple might be uncomfortable with that idea, viewing him as a, uh, as a right-wing character who uh, latched on to Ayn Rand, but it's not about the politics. It's about how you come to your politics. And I tell you, you know, people need to be a bit more flexible about allowing people to revise their beliefs in the face of evidence and allowing them into the fold. Because I feel like the polarization we're experiencing right now demands that people stay on one side and can never be invited to the other. And that doesn't help anybody. Not at all. Yeah, I agree hundred um, yeah. percent. And um and honestly, like when you talk to Zanzora, she like she's has the same message. You know, she does a ton of activism work and a ton of like, you know what I mean? So I think that I think in the I think in the basic and it is what I like about the tenets of, of Satanism is like you lay it down. And I think some basic rules are really good for a lot of things because like sometimes like when like you know, like if you look at like, you know, like uh, like Protestantism, like, OK, so there isn't a head church and some people like that. But like evangelical Christian, which is a Protestant thing, is is has run rampant with, with because there isn't like a basic like idea. And um, and then it gives it an opportunity, gives all these things an opportunity to be like, um I'm a I'm a racist or and I'm a Nazi and then I'll find something that I can manipulate into my my thing and that's that's gets a little you know you know it's a putting ideas out there is dangerous you know what I mean because people is it so when you do something like when you have the tenets of Satanism which which just you know which which speaks to compassion and speaks to empathy and speaks to things like that it, like you know it's hard to it's hard to you know it, it would be hard for for like the majority of like the black metal scene who have claimed to be social Darwinists for a long time to, to, to attach to that because they, they were like, Oh yeah, we're, we think 
we think that like being an oppressor is our right as a, you know, and uh, so I very much appreciate that. Put it in. And then it makes somebody like myself who um, during the satanic panic wanted everybody to think I was a Satanist, but you know what I mean? But later on just didn't want anybody to think I was a Nazi. You know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, cause like, no, like the Nazis are like what we're like, the, like, like Satan left, you know, not that I believe in like a, a Satan, but if you listen to the story, like he left the tyrannical God, you know what I mean? So it's weird to then flip that around and find solace in a tyrannical God. But, um, um, well, the, 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 the way it, the way they've come to uh, upholding or, or lionizing autocratic ideals in the uh, in the Church of Satan is through this idea of individualism taken in a totally different way than we take it in in the Satanic Temple. In the Satanic Temple, we advocate for everybody treating everybody as individuals, respecting everybody as individuals. The Church of Satan really focuses on this idea of stratification and that some people are lesser than others. And they've always tried to deracialize that and uh, and take take away any kind of, you know, uh, ethnic components to that or cultural or whatever, focusing in on the intelligent versus the stupid in more of the Randian fashion. And of course, there's a real problem of definition there because you never get a, a quite a clear demarcation of who's worthy and who's not. But they do yeah. kind of then order the world into this uh, into this environment in which certain people are worthy of ruling over others. And it doesn't take long before you get to that point where one person, you know, has that superiority and by natural processes will prevail. Uh, so that so to the point where you could see, you know, people in the Church of Satan lining up behind Trump on the idea that the fact that he made it there at all is evidence that he deserves to be there. You know, that kind of backward philosophy about, you know, power justifies itself. And if you're there, you deserve to be there. And if you're not, uh, you deserve what's coming to you. And there was a lot of cognitive dissonance, I thought, when I was, uh, you know, meeting people in the Church of Satan and things like that, where it was like, you know, there isn't embarrassment or shame within the Satanic Temple if you're working a low-wage low job. We realize, you know, people come to wherever they're at from different places and different people have different advantages economically or geographically or whatever and you know you, you never know you know who's working behind the counter at dunkin donuts or whatever else could be a very uh, uh a very well articulated person with a lot of thoughts and just hasn't had the advantages of higher education or whatever to get to a, a different rung in the in their career things like that the Church of Satan, I felt like there was a lot of embarrassment amongst the many people there who really did work low-wage jobs, you know, work retail jobs, public service jobs or whatever. And they seemed to be pretending they were something they weren't, that they were right. part of some economic elite or whatever. And you saw a lot of a lot of posing and pretending, you know, that they were in this upper strata uh, just merely by by having the ability to see outside the boundaries of Christian society. And, and they were part of this alien elite that were good enough to uh, 
identify as Satanists and that was enough, you know? And I just feel like there was a lot of cognitive dissonance that really didn't look at the reality of where they were and that uh, their concept of elitism wasn't bringing them any closer to being within this upper strata that my name is Elia Lucero. And this is Tavon Gonzalez. And we are ENT Phone Home, two Brooklyn bartenders who work in a movie theater. On our show, we talk about the charming innocence of Paul Rudd. Movies, actors, and all the rabbit holes they lead us in. Like Shia LaBeouf and Holes, or those poor ladies in the descent. But besides that, Leo and that's, we also talk about what we're reading and listening to. It's our face versus Robin versus Batman. In past episodes, we've spoken about the difference between a Heather and a Veronica with Susan Ken and Megan Plunkett. We talked about zombie caper flicks with our friend Rachel Wilmer. Or the daytime cults of Sweden with Grand Faye. That nerd bro down with Omar Holman. Yeah, we're just a couple of Renaissance nerds, so please join us on ENT Phone Home wherever you find your podcast. Peace out, Cub Scout. They were imagining. They did have Sammy Davis Jr. I'll give him that. Terry <laughs> Davis Jr. was amazing, but and uh, I'm glad he found Satanism. It's one of my favorite facts. Um, right, whatever criticisms I might have about the Church of Satan, it does piss me off when biographies of Sammy Davis Jr., Jane Mansfield, or any of them try to diminish that by saying like, oh, it was just a joke. It was just a one-time thing or whatever." It's like, "Oh, fuck you!" You know, if you're not able right. to take a clear eye view of this person's whole life. You're going to bury that kind of thing. They bury people's atheism too, you know, and so yeah, you know, totally. biographies or whatever. And I think that's a disservice to everybody. For sure. 100%. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, but like, I, it's one of my favorite uh, uh, Halloween facts for people is that, uh, you know, like Dave Mustaine is a Christian and Sammy Davis Jr. was a devil worshiper. So, um, but uh, that's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things that I, I think people need to know. Um, so, um, did you grow up into horror movies or did, uh, did, did the Satan, did, did the attraction to Satanism? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely did grow up in the, in horror, into horror movies. I, <laughs> I grew up in, uh, in Detroit and there was the, there was creature feature would come on every Sunday and they would play. I keep forgetting what the Led Zeppelin song was, but they would play like the interlude part of that song as though it were like horror music. And, it's the part where you know the guitars are kind of going wild and uh and he's going ah, 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 and there's all that reverb and everything and yeah. they would show different images of like universal monsters and there would be trails as a, a still image of, the, of them moved across the screen and they would sometimes play like you know credible movies uh from like the the 30s and 40s they'd play like the universal horror films bella lugosi and stuff like that and they would also play, you know, just really low budget stuff that was available to them, I guess, because it was public domain. And, uh, and it, you know, even as a little kid, I enjoyed laughing at really unconvincing low budget horror films uh, right. just for the fact that they were very ineptly done and sometimes the really poorly dubbed uh, Japanese films that would show some of the same stock footage over and over again. You know, you see like the same uh, same fighter jets launching to fight uh, mm-hmm. the giant monster again and again. And it became like a game trying to point that out. There it is again, you know. <laughs> and I've, I've never grown tired of that. And it wasn't until 
And I, I felt like that was more kind of a personal fetish of mine until like Mystery Science Theater came out and made a whole show of just, you know, cracking jokes along with shitty films. And then yeah. when the coronavirus pandemic started, we started looking for ways within the satanic temple to keep people in communication, to build like an online platform. And we, we did put together uh, the satanic estate where now we have conferences and different in, in services and things like that. But it's on our streaming platform, TST TV, where I do live movie nights that are streaming every Wednesday evening and i do triple feature crappy films and there's just a sidebar chat where everybody cracks wise about it we all kind of get stoned or drunk or stay sober and uh just involve ourselves in giving commentary on the on these films and it occurred to me that you know in that kind of environment where it's more about the chatting than it is the watching the film the worse the film the better it is and Absolutely. That's really held true throughout the uh, couple years now of streaming these films. And everybody thought after like a number of months that we would have to run out. But no, we're finding new classic, terrible films all the time. If I was trying to play good films, it would have ran out after a couple of right. weeks. <laughs> but trying to find terrible films that are worthy of being laughed at. You know, in some films, just kind of age into that, too. You know, because sure. I oh, watch yeah. films now that aren't quite ready for movie night, but <laughs> they will be once they're dated. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, um, what are some of the movies you've, you've streamed? Well, on Thanksgiving here, or the Wednesday here, just before Thanksgiving, I had three films lined up, and I was going to do Thanks Killing, which is kind of a little standard issue, I think, for Thanksgiving, but I had misnamed the file, so we ended up watching a Spanish Dracula film uh, with, a, with a little Cyclops child in it, um, which was called the Dracula Saga, where Dracula is just kind of this grandparent uh, concerned about his daughter marrying this guy and all this stuff. It's, it's a bizarre film. You know, they weren't trying to make it funny either by doing Dracula's family or whatever. And those are always the best kind, you know, thanks. Thanks. Killing. See, almost doesn't fit the mold because it knew it was over the top deranged. Oh, yeah. you know? Super self-aware. Sometimes that annoys me. You know, I like the campy, shitty films that were trying, trying to do it right. And we watch Blood Rage, which is a Thanksgiving film because the murder all goes down after, you know thanksgiving dinner or whatever and there's these twin children and they oh witness, yes <laughs> yeah well, they witness their mom getting porked in a drive-in theater or whatever and then <laughs> get to go on a murdering spree but he blames his twin so then when he gets out of prison uh, it turn or gets out of his uh out of the mental home where he was put into as a child when he was framed for the murder by his brother it becomes this big question of course of who's who and and at what point yeah. is the other poses but it had these great scenes in there like this guy gets his beer chopped off by a machete you know he's holding a beer and uh and the uh antagonist chops his hand right off and his hands just kind of wriggling around the beer laying on the floor and it just had these <laughs> for the top murder scenes like that that weren't convincingly done which made it all the all the more hilarious but the better the best i think the 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 
Thanksgiving film you need to watch every year on Thanksgiving is is Blood Freak, which, if I understand correctly, was commissioned by some Christian group and directed by this dedicated nudist by the name of Gra- Brad Grinter, who made a short film, 10 minutes, about his nudism and, uh, you know, took a very kind of silly academic approach to, to nudism and, and in understanding and accepting nudism. But uh, Blood Freak is about this guy who gets hooked on marijuana. Um, he meets up with these hippies and he's a Vietnam veteran, but this is back in the 70s, so he's a young man. And he then starts eating this turkey at his job. He's being used as a guinea pig to eat these experimental turkeys who are on this, who are on this new hormone therapy or something like that, which drives him to become, he's, he at some point passes out after eating a turkey, or he's out on the farm, he passes out and started, starts convulsing, and he becomes this turkey-headed monster who needs to drink the blood of drug addicts to get his fix. So he's wandering around murdering these drug addicts and drinking their blood. And this is presented by a narrator as a plausible story of something that could happen in the world today. You oh know, given, given the drugs, given the, you know, given the drug addicts and experimental medications and things like that. It's just, it's kind of the perfect movie. There's like a scene, I think it, it, it goes, it seems like it goes about eight minutes where the guy gets his leg sawed off and he holds his leg and he's screaming. But every scream in this is just a looped single scream. You know, they, they really they really cut the budget on the audio too. And they really test your endurance with it. So this is like a kind of perfect movie to watch with other people. And it's just masochistic to watch on your own. And sometimes these films are like that. They're terrible to watch on your own. But when you're watching it with other people, you can laugh because you know, like this eight minute scene of a guy just holding his stump and screaming is coming up. (laughs) It sounds amazing. It sounds like it'll be my favorite movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Other favorites of ours include like, uh, Ben and Arthur, which I think is available on on YouTube even. And it's just this really overly dramatic gay film um, where, you know, they try to, the director is also the star of the film. And those are usually the best too. You know, when you, <laughs> the director is also the writer, the producer, the person who financed it, and they're plugging themselves into their dream role, you know. Yeah. And to that end, you'd have to love Neil Breen films. You, do you guys know about Neil Breen? No. Let me see. Uh, he's out of Nevada. He's out of Vegas. And in fact, he's working on a new film. And I tried to get him to allow Satanic Planet to do the soundtracking for it. And the fool has not responded. <laughs> <laughs> Low budget films where he casts himself as the action hero. And you know, he's not your traditional action hero. I can't say you'd look at him and say this man would be an action star. And he really manages to attract the ladies, at least in these scripts, you know, and, and uh, you just have to see them to believe them. They're, they're, they're some of the best, best, worst, low budget films being made today. And, you know, I can watch them and say, man, who is this for? Who watches this stuff? But I have to realize that it's me. I'm watching this stuff all the time. <laughs> 
a couple uh, times. He's got a bunch of them. I'm looking at it right here. He's got uh, uh he's got two with um with Google entries, uh, Faithful Findings and Twisted Pair. And yeah, he doesn't look like uh yeah, it's like um you know, like you got to give credit to people for just going for it. You know what I mean? Like I'm just <laughs> right. going to do this and um Faithful Findings is an independent uh, film, came out in 2012. Um, and what's great about the his entry on, uh, on uh, Wikipedia is um, under the filmography thing, it has director, writer, producer, actor, editor, musical director, and then role. And like, and it's supposed to be like a check mark, but it just says yes to all of them. He does every <laughs> single thing on every movie, and um, like, it's uh, it's it's um, it's uh, outstanding. Um, thank so you, you for you, thank you, you for bringing that to us. Self financed and, and put himself in an action role. Uh, Vanderhart, I think, was his name. Uh, there's this movie called Get Even, aka Road to Revenge, and you know he does all his own stunts, all his own kung fu. And if you watch it, you'll totally believe it. And, you know, it's another one of those films where there's these extended lovemaking scenes also with an aged out, an aged out porn actress. And, you, you know, there's one of my favorite films in there, or one of my favorite scenes in there was he did the, his lovemaking scene with the lady. And he's in a hot tub with her. Her bare, her bare jugs are out. And his eyes are just locked on them, and he's not going to look away. And you can you you can see in this scene that he decided to use for the film. He's trying to burn the memory of this into his mind <laughs> because he's this, you know. And this might never happen again. He might never have a set of boobs in front of him like this again. And he wants to get everything out of it he possibly can, including putting full minutes of it into his film <laughs> along with along with his soundtracking of it he's also singing a duet with the actress i think while this whole scene is carrying on and they play the whole song show you know several minutes of this footage and you know this is offset by all the action too where he shows off his kung fu skills you guys you really have to see this film okay. yeah you, it sounds amazing films this is where it's at I, I'm, look, I'm looking at, I will. I'm looking at some gifts of it or like some, like, like some, like, uh, some trailers of it. Um, like it is really, it's really incredible. It's really, uh, 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 shameless would be the word that I'm using. Um, it's like, he's like, he's like, I'm not afraid. I'm just going to do this. This is really, um, you, you've, uh, you've, uh, you brought some excellent, excellent movies to the table. So I have, a, I have a recommendation, actually. It sounds like it might be right up your alley, Lucian. Um, have you heard of Burial Grounds from 1981? Yes. Yes, I have. I don't think I played it at movie night, though. I used to have, like, a special DVD edition of that one. Oh, it's that's one of my favorites. With the, the 12-year-old boy... Uh, who tries to have sex with his mom for no reason. And it's, it's never explained or anything, but he also looks like he's like 50 years old too. And he's supposed to be 12. And apparently um, he was a 25 year old little person that they had hired to bypass uh, Italian child labor laws. Uh, but that's one of my favorites. Cause it's a zombie movie where uh, the zombies get smarter, but not faster. So they're just getting like bigger tools and better tools, but still 
just kind of using them the same way. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, it's cool that you've heard of that, actually. There's not a lot of people. Uh, I bring that up. It's, uh, it's funny that you brought up the, uh, the Dracula movie that you accidentally um, streamed. <laughs> Because I uh, I subscribe to a thing called Horror Pack and they send me movies every month on like Blu-ray and stuff like that. And the one that they one of the ones that they sent me this month, I just got it like two days ago. I'm actually super jazzed that I got it because it's a piece of shit movie in the best way. Um, it's Dario Argento's Dracula, and it's from 2012. Have you ever seen the Dario Argento version of Dracula, Lucian? No, I don't even think I had heard of it. I saw the remake of uh, Suspiria, but I, I had no idea that Argento made a Dracula film in 2012. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I've loved some of Argento's stuff, though. And right. when I was in Italy, I was flipping through the channels one day, and just on daytime TV, they, there was an Argento film, and I was wondering, do they do this all the time over here? <laughs> like, is it just... <laughs> I, was I, think a, he, I think he. I think Argento's stuff in Italy shows up kind of like Skinamax shows on for like us, where it's just like <laughs> if you pop the TV on from like 11 p.m. to like four in the morning, they probably just throw Argento movies on there on Italian TV, just like yeah, go ahead and just watch this, because like his when his movies are good, they're great, but when they're bad, they're amazing. Like <laughs> it's one of the things oh, like this drive. Same with Fulci too. I forget the name of the Fulci film that was uh, that was like a Dungeons and Dragons type thing. Oh, you, you have oh. to look that up. But it was it was so over the top, you know. Like it it, it didn't work in the same way the gore films do because right. you know it was sword and sorcery, um, and and you expect that to be a little tamer, even though there's sword play and stuff like that. Not with him. I mean, he just took it so ridiculously over the top that it was just like, that it was hilarious. Was it Conquest? Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. was Conquest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny, because Fulci's movies, Fulci's movies are also kind of that, like, exactly like you said, they're the same way. Because when they're bad, it's like, um, I did a watch party with a bunch of friends, a bunch of horror friends, too, and we watched uh, Demons, his movie Demons. And, like, it when he does stuff that's over the top and like you can tell the budget is low and you can tell that the practical effects are you know they're i'm not going to say they're phoned in but you can tell they're done on a shoestring budget and stuff like that it jumps it up to that upper echelon of just really fun bad movies and fulci is one of the he's one of the masters of that because like again when his are great they're great but man when they're bad like i can't stop watching them <laughs> And that's what happened with this Dracula one, because it's Dracula 3D. Like, it's called Dracula 3D, and first off, you don't need to watch it in 3D in any way, shape, or form. I've done that. I highly do not recommend. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones that's like the 3D. Oh, so no, one of the worst. No, it, possibly the worst Dracula film, though, is the one with uh, Coolio and... Uh, uh, have to look that one up. It takes place in space. It's uh, it's like uh, it's just Dracula in outer space on a spaceship. Coolio is somewhere in the cast, and I I actually considered playing this film for movie night uh, during October. I was playing all Halloween films, and there was one time I was playing all Dracula films or whatever. This year, I decided that that film was possibly too shitty for movie night because <laughs> if you take it when you get a shitty film. 
you still want it to be paced, you know, in a way that it just doesn't bore the piss out of you, you know? Sure. There's certain types of bad film. And like Ed Wood, you know, he's he's kind of the classic terrible film. But you notice his films were paced really well. Sure. You know, they hold your interest. And even when you're laughing at them, you're continually laughing at them. You're not you're not reaching to turn it off, you know? And that's right. what I think sets Neil Breen's films apart, too. I'm never watching Neil Breen's films, listening to this terrible dialogue, uh, seeing this nonsensical plot come together and these ridiculous ideas, uh, him trying to cohere them. I'm never not entertained. You know, entertainment is what it's all about. I just don't feel that maybe this uh, uh, this Dracula in space film filled that requirement of being entertaining, but sometimes you play it with other people and different things affect them in different ways. And like I said, I'm somebody who can laugh at an eight minute scene of a guy holding his bloody stump just right. because it's, <laughs> it, it becomes almost avant, you know, when are they going to cut this? And in there's a scene in, uh, in Neil Breen's film, double down where he starts running ape shit. He just starts running towards the horizon. And I'm not sure what the point of it is, but he starts doing that. And, I was watching this the first time and I was stoned and I was thinking like, okay, he's still running. And then I was saying to the person I was watching it with, I was like, I think we're going to see him make it all the way to the horizon here. (laughs) And as he kept running and as it goes on, it just got funnier and funnier that he was doing. I was laughing. I practically had tears in my eyes and he did it again in another movie of his where the soundtracking was going and he was, he had like a drone or a high vantage point. And he's panning. He's panning over this lovely scenery. And of course, he just doesn't want to let this lovely scenery go because he's, he's, you know, he's, he's trying to be a filmmaker. And it's not quite working out. So he pans all the way one direction. And the music comes to a stop and the camera stops. Then the camera starts moving the next direction back, back the way it came. And the soundtrack <laughs> just starts up again. And <laughs> I guess you have to have the kind of sense of humor where once the soundtracking starts up again, it starts panning the other direction again. That has to strike you as funny for Neil Breen. But it strikes me as absolutely hilarious and it's ineptness. It is. Um, So are there any movies actually do you, that, that you think uh, got Satanism right? I think the uh, documentary Hail Satan, directed by Penny Lane, <laughs> I think that's probably the best modern representation of Satanism that I have ever seen. And those guys, they have their shit together. <laughs> they really agree. <laughs> yeah. Really no, that's a, that's a really great answer. All right. Well, all right. So are there any movies that got the physical, uh, your, your vision of Satan physically correct? No, because I like the idea of Satan as being this kind of malleable character to the moment. It's kind of in in line with our philosophy regarding ritual as well, where there's like these general parameters about the character, but given the occasion, you know, it calls for something different. And that is in line also with our kind of anti-autocratic philosophy, our our procreativity, uh, not not procreation-ativity, but but uh, we're, we're very much in favor of, of creativity and the arts. And, you know, that hasn't always been a given with religions and especially the Abrahamic religions have often had an 
acrimonious relationship to art and artists, you know, whereas our headquarters houses a, an art, art gallery. And while some people think that that might be arbitrary, it really isn't, you know, in, in order for things to be uh, artistic, you need a certain amount of creative latitude. And, and we, we really allow that within the satanic temple. But I think there's some films that I think we probably all like that if we're honest about it, really wreaked havoc upon our culture when it came to things like the satanic panic. And when I think of the devastation wrought by films like Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist, you know, I almost hate to say it because I watched those films as a kid and I found them convincing and I, I appreciate them as horror films. I, I, really, I really understand their place in the horror canon, you know, and you can't take that away from them. Just the same, people took these fictional narratives way too seriously. And I watch something like The Exorcist now, and it really looks like Catholic propaganda, you know? And I look at things like Rosemary's Baby, and I like that film as, as a younger person. And now all I can see is this, is this kind of witch hunt narrative where they're maligning a fictional group of people, you know, fictional to them, Satanists, you know? But it never stays confined to a fictional group of Satanists, does it? You know, like, yeah, you can't say QAnon is benign because they're talking about Satanists who aren't there. They begin looking for their Satanists and people who aren't practicing what they say they are. And, you know, that you have them also looking to people like us who openly identify as Satanists and insisting that somewhere in the background, these things are taking place. And to this day. I don't know the answer to that. You know, I think it goes too far to tell people they can't write fictional narratives that depict villains in this way. Right. But just the same, you have to acknowledge the damage this kind of thing does in the minds of uh, in the minds of the ignorant. Yeah, it's actually something uh, I thought about a lot when I watched uh, Sabrina, the, the Teenage Witch uh, series, um, because, you know, they all worship Satan and everything like the real. Uh, deity and everything but and, and they're all about evil like satan is evil but then like right they're, they're all they're super progressive like they're all like very inclusive and and everything and so it was a little it was a little confusing there um but i also i feel the same way about that you do about like the exorcist and stuff about like the conjuring today where they basically took the church and made them superheroes uh, by the yeah, end, what was so. weird about the new Conjuring movie was they wanted their promotional team wanted me to help promote it. <laughs> really? Thought, yeah, that's... That was, I mean, when, when I thought of, at first I was pissed off I, when I saw the film, I was like, this is total satanic panic narrative stuff. And this is obviously the type of thing I'm going to push back out at coming out today, especially when it's not what I considered a good film. So I thought, you know, for a moment, I thought, who the fuck did this person think they were reaching out to me about this? <laughs> but then I was thinking, like, you know, if I had been a marketer in the same position, I probably would have tried pulling the same bullshit. Right. It's a terrible case, too, for them to be promoting because, like, somebody, like, clearly tried to, like, <clears throat> as a, like, in the real life case, like, the guy tried to argue that he was possessed by the devil for something that he clearly wasn't possessed by the devil and he just killed somebody and he just wanted to try to, like, make it like that. And, um, and, like, there's, like, like, we all know the Warrens were 
we're we're full of shit and like i can i can deal with the fake warrens the fictional warrens as sort of like whatever and like and like it is what it is but like when you start getting into like real cases that had like real actual like human tragedy surrounded by it and like those things like that then i start to go like eh, i don't know you know what i mean like it's one thing to go into the haunted house and the blah 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 blah, but it's another thing when like somebody like murdered somebody and then and then tried to like utilize like supernatural bullshit to like okay they're you know what i mean right that's what i was gonna say at the point where you're trying to exonerate somebody for murder right. on the, the devil made him do it claim uh something's wrong right Exactly. Like, I mean, like, I mean, maybe you should have prayed harder. I don't know what to tell you, but like, you got to go to jail now. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, it's like, I don't know what to say. Um, I do want to bring up um, that. Uh, how do you feel about the uh, episode of evil where there's like a fake representation of you? What do you think about that? Holy shit. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Actually, what? Wait, you, you said that represents what? I think they're trying to make it like a fake version of you in that episode. Okay, of- yeah, no. Okay, I, I thought for a moment you you bypassed representation of me for something else. That would have no. been funny. Right. I, I thought maybe you didn't know that they made a fictionalized me. No, I on know. The show. It's like, but, and I, and I kind of liked the show up until then because it had cool imagery and yes, it's a bit of Catholic propaganda and all that too, as well as all of it. But I can sort of put that aside for, for horror's sake a lot of times. Like, but, um, but ultimately then all of a sudden, like a fake you was in it. And I was like, and then they, 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 they did you wrong. I'm sorry. They did do me wrong in, in, in ways that were kind of comical because they turned it into this thing where uh, I, I'm just, well, for one thing, they made me so that I'm claiming to be a theistic Satanist. So in the background, right. you know, I'm actually not theistic. I don't believe in this stuff. And it's all a ruse. When, it, of course, in reality, like I'm upfront about everything. We're, we're atheistic. We're we're non-theistic, but we believe that we have all the components that a religion needs to be a religion. I, I truly believe all of that. We have our ethics and everything else. There's no buy-in to becoming a member of the satanic temple. There's no tithing. There's no dues. So it's difficult to say that we're running some kind of financial scam. But in this show, you know, they had it so that we're doing all of this for T-shirt sales which made no sense to me at all because we can sell fucking t-shirts anyways. We were t-shirts before we were IRS tax exempt. And in fact, we weren't going to seek IRS tax exemption until it became obvious that that was being held against us right. in the courts as being inauthentic as a religion and not recognized, you know? So it really came to a point where uh, getting the tax exemption seemed necessary and Plus, we we do fulfill all those requirements in the show. They had them determine that we don't because of the the financial component of it, that we're we're making money off of these T-shirts. And it's in and in that show, it's all going to the character who's supposed to be me. And so I knew that there was this show that made a fictional depiction of me. So I decided I would throw in the episode on a streaming movie night and we'd all watch it together because I have this regular audience of people and I hadn't watched it before because I was worried 
I wouldn't have a real sense of humor about it because I get a lot of shit on the internet. I have a lot of conspiracy theorists making claims about me one way or the other, either that, you know, I, I can be anything from uh, George Soros's communist lackey to uh, a crypto fascist uh, uh, Nazi trying to infiltrate uh, uh, the, the liberal set of the, of the cultural war kind of thing. So it comes from all over the place and I'm really losing my sense of humor about it as time goes on. You know, I try to be thick skinned and everything. And then seeing, knowing that there's a fictional depiction of me who's doing it all for the money when literally I could have done anything else with my life earlier on and been more financially stable and secure and made more money, you know, that becomes a little hard to handle, but watching it with my movie night crowd, I thought, all right, maybe this will be funny. And we get to the point where fictional me, apropos of nothing, I've never watched the show before. This is the only episode I saw, so I didn't, don't know how this fit in with the broader narrative. But he just all of a sudden, out of the blue, is called upon by the show's main protagonist, I take it, you know, at least one of them, and she decides to fuck him. Yeah. So he fucks her. <laughs> and I, we have watched a lot of depraved, weird things on movie night. And yet I have never felt more uncomfortable as I have than <laughs> sitting there with buddy watching this fictional version of me fucking the protagonist of this show out of the blue. <laughs> and then she, and I then, don't know then, then she does you that. dirty. I don't know. <clears throat> and then she does you dirty too. She, she lies about it when you bring it up. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't. So I, I assume they're going to bring me back at some point. And at that <laughs> <laughs> from anything in my real life but i thought like are they gonna make it so she's pregnant what are they gonna do with this you yeah. know yeah it's uh um you should uh you should contact the actor you know um see how that goes um but yeah i just was like it was it's funny because the show is actually like can be pretty good and has like amazing like um uh, imagery and stuff like that and stuff like, but they got to that and it was just like so ham-handed and so like poorly done on something that's like you know such like a hotbed subject and um i don't know like i, I thought it was I, I thought it was very disappointing and yeah they well, turned the, show, to- the show apparently lives in like a catholic reality because like exorcisms are real there's there's demons around and stuff like that right it, it looks like a very a very a very catholic universe that they're in and you know they're the only way they could uh i don't know i mean there there was no way they were gonna there was no way they were going to uh treat us appropriately in this in that kind of environment but but i kind of you know i ended up seeing it a second time and it made me wonder if they were implying that something I, i assume they have to get back to it because they showed the guy who was supposed to be my business partner in this um, he's giving this, this service, right? And at some point they listen to a recording of it and somebody says, now that sounds like a true believer, you know, indicating that there was something more going on and that, but they didn't come back to it. So I was wondering if like, they're going to get back to this at some point, And the idea will be that even though we're disingenuous in what we say, we're playing with these powers that we don't understand and actually bringing evil into the world. And I think that's a very plausible narrative for them to go towards because 
we, if we do engage with Catholics who are willing to speak with us and still hold these beliefs, that's typically what they what they think. You know, mm-hmm. if they're if they're willing to take what we say at face value and realize that we're non-theistic and and really uh and really engage with us honestly, you know, honest on their terms. It's like you know accounting for their supernaturalism you know they understand that we're non-theistic they understand how we see things but they still believe that what we're doing has this supernatural influence that has a very negative consequence and i think that might be where the show is going if they come back to if they come back to me again i mean i i like i kind of like i kind of hope they do just because like I don't know because it's like at least like interesting and I'm like I feel like party to that but on the other hand like it's uh it was uh, so silly and so poorly done that um... but but I have to admit I watched this one episode where a character that's supposed to be me comes in and fucks the protagonist and I thought that's traumatizing for me like this is awful and yet now anything I watch I'm thinking like all right, now a me has to come in there and fuck all of them. <laughs> right, like why can't why can't why can't this work out on every show? You know, yeah. um, now I'm used to it. Now I expect it. You know, right. Like, right. When you get the VIP treatment, you know, and you're brought right. to the head of the line, you're like, ah, oh, come on, guys, I'm not special. Next time you're in line, you're like, this sucks. <laughs> I got bumped up to the first class once, um, just because I, I, I long story, but. Um, and then I wrote in first class and I'm like, I don't know how I could ever go back there again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like the seats are so small. Like, will somebody close those fucking curtains, please? I, I'm tired yeah, they, of... they don't account for you bringing your legs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're I want to live. I want to live in an alternate reality in evolution where you send a strongly worded email to the creators of evil being like, listen, first of all, I don't fuck like that. That you got it all wrong. <laughs> it was in a car. Uh, I, I, send the, I send the best strongly worded emails. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I used to have that down to an art. I used to send them arbitrarily before I started doing, uh, before the Satanic Temple was a thing. I used to send superfluous complaint letters to companies. And uh, <laughs> sometimes they just send me stuff too. I would complain about stupid advertising and things like that. They were, they were I could put together a book of this stuff. <laughs> and they'd send you free stuff. I should, I should teach classes on strongly worded emails. I brought that <laughs> to writing press releases for the Satanic Temple, and I think that, that really kickstarted us. That's pretty awesome. That's uh, pretty good. Um, so I think we'll, we'll get into the, the Sinister Six, the, the big six opinion questions now. Um, and, you know, you can expand on your answers as much as you want or, you know, um, pass on some if you want. No problem. Um, but the first one is Freddie or Jason. I'm, I'm more for Freddie. I didn't, I didn't see much, uh, you know, I, di- I didn't really care much for the uh, Jason backstory, you know, and then Jason morphed more and more throughout time into this more and more supernatural character. It became more like a Marvel superhero where it was like, you know, I felt like the Marvel universe began to break down in the comics and they, to their credit, they, they allowed it to break down in the movies too. In that way where it's like, you have these kind of godlike characters now mixing with guys who just had like, you know, a little better technology and were taking on vigilantism, you know, 
And then you're trying to make an equal playing field once that they all start, you know, mixing with one another. So now Captain America's as strong as Thor and all that other bullshit. And I felt like, uh, you know, Jason was another one of those characters that just kept getting stronger and more unkillable and everything. And it's like, I don't know, in my mind, you don't need that in a in a in a slasher character. You know, you just need somebody who's psychopathic and willing to kill. You know, and I felt like yeah. there's a there's a certain power in having a character that's not unkillable. Like, then you might as well just give up. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like yeah. Superman. He was never an interesting character because it's like, where's the struggle? You know what I mean? Somebody has to go find kryptonite somewhere or synth- synthesize it. It's it's really predictable. You know, there's no struggle, and and yeah. it's, it's similar, it became similar for Jason. There was a you know, Freddy was in his his way kind of unkillable as well, and and a supernatural character, but he started out supernatural and he, he played upon people's unconscious fears and stuff. And I just felt like there was more room for storytelling that way and, and more room for universe building. No. Yeah. That's a good point. And I, and I strongly agree on the, on the, on the too powerful thing. It's why Superman, the Hulk and Wolverine movies all have to be have like the same deal. Like they either have to have them weakened or they have to fight somebody of the same caliber. Otherwise, they'll just destroy it. And unfortunately, though, then it sort of like negates like the purpose of them being so powerful. I don't know. Like it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Like they're they're fun to like have on the team, but like and to like think about that. But like if every story has to revolve around them like now finding somebody equally comparable, then what's the point of them? I don't know. You know, it's like. Yeah. Right, and then it just keeps getting bigger and bigger to the point where it's like their their storytelling can't sustain it anymore. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and then people start dying and coming back from death, and that's when you know it's over. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um. All right. Number two. What's the difference between a thriller and a horror? A thriller is more dependent upon suspense, and I think. That, you know, I think thrillers are more successful in the theaters because it's hard to emulate or, or in, evoke real fear in people, you know, and you, you do that, you know, with depending on how successful the, the, the jump starts are and things like that and just the kind of you know, terror in the scenario type of thing. But a thriller can, can have... Uh, uh, more of a mystery component to it, you know, and are often more uh, uh, psychological. Um, and I, I, I feel like uh, one of the better horror film series of our time, which people probably don't recognize as such or probably don't consider as such, was the Chernobyl series on on HBO. And, and that was almost a masterpiece in, in depression, uh, you know, more <laughs> yeah. than anything else. But I really felt like they did a great job of showing just how horrific there wasn't there wasn't a suspense to it. You know, you knew it was happening and you knew it was going to happen. You knew the danger involved. And I think that's the difference. But it was horrifying and it was uh, and it's horrific to see the outcome of that. So it doesn't always depend upon some psychotic anti-human character. It can, you know, be just dependent on uh on such conditions, you know, that are, that aren't amenable to human life. And, and, you know, certainly if something's plausible or true, 
that can be all the more horrific still. Yeah, no, that's a great, good. I, I like that you brought up Chernobyl as a, as a horror. That's pretty great. Yeah. Um, all right. What horror movie influenced your taste the most? Uh, horror films that influenced my tastes. You know, I, this is going to make me sound like a real old fart, but I think what, what must have earliest set the tone for me were films I didn't even find scary at all, but were, uh, you know, the universal horror films. I, I really, I really liked those. I'm talking like five years old now. And yeah. uh, like the old, the blob films too. Like when I was that, that age really really resonated to resonated for me for some reason too you know there was just you know this this creeping faceless horror is overtaking everything and growing bigger the more it destroyed and depending on where you were at you know you could find yourself in a situation where there was no escape because it would envelop the entire bowling alley like in in yeah. the blob to it certain different concepts really struck me as effective earlier on there was a hammer horror werewolf film um i don't remember if it was mark of the werewolf or or, or i i remember the uh i remember the environments and the look of it but i'm not sure what uh i think maybe it was the legend of the wolfman or something like that but there was just this scene where um where uh are, are, are you talking? Are you talking about Curse of the Werewolf? Yes, he's, yeah, okay. he, where he's, he's caught in a prison cell, yeah, yeah. and he has a prison mate, and he's telling the prison mate, "Like, shit's about to go really south here for you because you're locked in this cell with me, and in the full moon, I'm going to become a werewolf." And the guy is like, "Oh, come on, fuck off!" You know, like, get 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 ready for a night of romance or whatever. And, uh, you know, the full moon comes out and the guy starts sweating and convulsing and stuff. And the guys and his cellmates getting increasingly worried. And, you know, that whole that whole thing struck me as really effective as a kid. That idea of being locked in the room with the guy, you know, and uh, that, that struck me as uh, also the most powerful part of Bram Stoker's Dracula when I read it too. the everybody on the uh, on the ship that was uh, that was moving the vampire to uh to london and he was killing the the crew one by one they were his food supply you know and they would see him at night and i thought you know it was just i, I just thought it was i thought it was more the, i think it was more the concept and that it struck me at the right time at the right age you know where i understood the concept and therefore it was horrific even though it was done in an old film with not the best special effects you know sure um if you could erase one movie from existence, what would it be? If I could erase a film from existence? <laughs> wow. You, you know, I guess a lot of people would look at like uh, uh, some of the Riefenstahl films, <laughs> like Triumph of the Will, and, and look at its role in, in, uh, in, in motivating you know, the Nazis during World War II and say, you know, they would they would get rid of that film. Um, but I don't know. I, I doubt that would have a really significant effect. And it's it's hard to say, you know, without being able to look uh, back in time and reverse engineer it. 
you know, what films have caused what kind of devastation due to what people's beliefs. But I gave that kind of limited insight into, you know, the double whammy of The Exorcist and the popularity of Rosemary's Baby and helping inform the satanic sure, yeah. panic that came after that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to pass on that, not not because I don't no find problem. it an interesting question or I don't have opinions, but I feel like if we thought about it hard enough, there would be a whole lot of films. <laughs> for, for sure, for sure. But then you're acting as a retrospective uh, uh, censor, too. So That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why we, we have people pass on that one. Um, yeah, I said, and I love, I said Scream, and I love Scream, but I just also love Chaos. And I think Scream did so much for the horror genre it would be completely different if it never happened. So that's why I don't actually think that Scream should be erased. You, you pulled a you pulled a Thanos snap with the Scream yeah, one. Yeah, that's how that would remove so much shit. It's yeah, so funny 100%. because that out of all the questions that we ask on this one, honestly, that one people pass the most on. And I mean, that for sure. makes sense because it's, you know, that's a tough one. Um, but your answer also on that was kind of perfect too, because like you can go the opposite way on it. You can either get rid of nothing or get rid of so many things. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally. just so many <laughs> like, things. Uh, yeah, you can either like respect art and 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 erase nothing, or like just go into a lot of problematic movies. But um, anyway, I think I think it's I think it's the Rob Zombie Halloween movies, and I'm fine. With whatever, <laughs> whatever whatever that stop, whatever that happens. <laughs> I'm good with it. So, like, what well, I think, I think there's nothing worse than what can what like we were we didn't get stronger as a people with those movies. So I'm, I'm fine. Oh no, and I I got I to admit, yeah, I I I kind of broached this topic with my movie night crowd about Rob Zombie's films, and and I love the idea of his films. He'll do these interviews, and I'll think this is going to be a great film, and then I watch it, and I'm like, ah, not so much. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really disappointed about. The fact that he's doing the monsters, I wish uh, I just feel like, God damn it, leave the monsters alone. Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst it's, news. <laughs> and if he did, you know, and I wouldn't care as much if he didn't put like, and it's like, like whatever, like you love your wife and you want to put whoever you want in your movies at all, but like, but there's also this weird like nepotism factor of it and stuff like that. But she just shouldn't be Lily Munster. She can do something else in the movie, but like, give the opportunity to another actor. There are plenty of women out there who have worked their way up to to get these starring roles and and the very few starring roles in in horror. And you know, and like like give it give it to somebody. I don't know. That's just that's just my take on it. And well, if his history is any measure. Um none of these up and coming uh, up and coming actors are missing out by not being in it. <laughs> oh, sure. That's a good point. And uh, I just, I'm just always like, a, like, Hey, let's give people a shot. You know what I mean? Like, let's let people like get, get some, get some IMDB, you know? Well, with that in mind, people have wised up a little bit. It seems at least more so than before to letting people who like actually have some of the characteristics of the person they're playing, play the role like rather than the famous Hollywood person, like trying to, you know, say emulate a, a Russian accent or, you know, having their uh, arm CGI'd off rather sure. than getting somebody, you know, who, sure. somebody who's actually missing an arm or whatever, because I, you know, I, I don't think I'm a good actor, but I think there's a lot of people who are to the point where I think, a lot more people could do it and do a good job 
than we allow for when we have the same, you know, small set of Hollywood people in films all the time. Right. Absolutely. Um, are ghosts real? Oh, well, this gets very philosophical, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think, I don't think like, uh, uh, actual manifestations of, you know, that contain the consciousness of somebody who was, who was previously alive, you know, manifest themselves in, in physical environments and make themselves known. But I do think there's a lot of anomalous experiences people have that can very much convince them of these types of things because they have no other context for which to view it through. So I, I you know, while I don't think ghosts are real, that's not to say I think people who do ghost hunting and explore paranormal things are all lying or, you know, uh, uh, running a scam or, or anything like that. You know, I know a lot of people who get into paranormal stuff and do like uh, ghost hunting type things and things like that. And, and a lot of times I think people find that there's like when it comes to the haunted house idea that there's old houses and there's a lot of things you don't account for with an old house in, in a lot of ways in which, you know, the, these, the old house settling or other, other such things, electrical problems or whatever can uh, manifest themselves in ways that are unexpected that people interpret as having some kind of uh, conscious, uh, conscious intervention. For sure. Um, yeah. Ryan actually brings up all the time. Like he, he went to Loch Ness and he doesn't believe in Loch Ness, but spent the whole time looking for Loch Ness. <laughs> <laughs> right, like he, I, he wants to believe but yeah like yeah. i want i want there to be a Loch Ness monster i want there to be ghosts i gotta tell you yeah. because like like when i was a kid and i sort of believed in all that like like the ouija board was real fun now yeah. as, a, as a skeptic and an atheist like ouija board's boring as fuck like it really is like you want to bust it out and be like let's have some fun and then you're like that it's not moving and you're like, maybe I should ask it differently. And you're like, Oh wait, that's not how any of this works. So I don't like, <laughs> right. I don't, I don't know what I don't like. Yeah. Like I, I still want there to be fun in life of mystery and stuff like that. And I sometimes don't let my factual reality over, you know, like I, 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 I know there's no Loch Ness monster. I know it, but God. Oh yeah. But just, just the same, like, yeah. If you hear that people are seeing something big intermittently, in the water and you can't see the bottom, you know, you can't tell me that you're floating out there feeling entirely comfortable. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind it's, of exciting. Yeah. It's a, it's a uh, great place too. I strongly suggest anybody go there and take a boat ride because it's beautiful. And Scotland um, is in Scotland. Big shout out to Scotland. They're amazing. Country. Last one. Midsummer or hereditary. Ah, you know what? I never saw hereditary. I, I know the, oh. uh, I, I'm, I, I like the soundtracking for Hereditary. I forget the name of the guy, but uh, but Hereditary soundtracking was really good. And, uh, you know, Midsummer. when I saw that, I, w I was not in the mood for it. And I, I felt like the slow pans over the, uh, over the environment in, like, the, the camera following the character thing, I was not in the mood for that. So I, <laughs> I would have to... I would have to watch it again to see if it really uh, clicked for me, but it, you know, in that's where I really differ with a lot of my peers, you know, a lot of people around me who like the same things I like, 
liked uh, liked Midsummer a lot, and I just did not get into it. Sure, I, uh, I I I can understand that. You know, like I'm I'm like I love a twenty four movies. Like I love them, but like I have to be in the right mood for it. I can't just I can't just slap it. I'm I think I'm more in the in the your camp, which in with like ninety percent of the time I just slap on a like a something just kind of fun and something sort of like you know something I can enjoy and. Like if if I want to like sit down, and... yeah, something something that won't disappoint you because disappointment is the point, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. exactly. I'd be but, uh, I'd be very very interested to, to hear what your thoughts are on Hereditary once you do see it because it's a very interesting movie with for all sorts of different reasons, but from the spiritual aspect of it, there's a lot of really insane shit that happens in the movie. So I'd be, I'd be super curious to hear what your thoughts are on that when you actually do watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I will check it out for sure. It is kind of an oversight of mine that I let that one cruise by. There's some, uh, some, there's some really great imagery in that movie and some really kind of like, uh, like really fucked up moments that are pretty awesome. So I, uh, I, I, I'm a hereditary person. I think, uh, I think Midsummer is good, but it's a definitely like, a I got to sit down and get ready to watch it sort of, sort of movie. So. Um, and also the director's cut, which I would always recommend is like three hours long. So it's not an easy one to just sit down and watch. And they're also vastly different movies. Like they're the, the thing with Ari Aster is the way that he, I mean, they're kids. They're both his movies. Sometimes directors have a signature or whatever. Those are such different films energetically. Um, that I think it's I think it's actually just interesting in that sense because the fact that those are his two first his first two movies and they're so vastly different is very interesting to me. Um, but you can tell that like you know he's going to be a legendary director like even just based off his first two movies. Yeah. Well, this has been a, this has been an awesome episode. Uh, Lucian, Super is, awesome. Yeah, we really appreciate you making time for us. This is the part of the episode where we. Uh, uh, do any recommendations so we'll uh, we usually go first and let our guests take us out um so if you got anything musically uh uh movie wise um um anything else uh, uh i i came up with green onions once because if you put green onions are like 79 cents and if you put them in your meal it makes like your meal like ten dollars better um you know and uh you know just anything you can think of on, on that uh, you're uh, you're into it. No, I, uh, I just have a be- I have a belated zinger. Okay, let's hear. It. I want. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe he can teach Rob Zombie a thing or two about directing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Listen, he needs to. Rob Zombie needs to do two things. He needs to only give his wife vanity parts, just like quick vanity parts. That's fine. And also, he needs to stop making every single movie that he makes about incest in some way. Because I swear to God, if the monsters fuck each other, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. They're so going <laughs> to. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, all right. You want me to just go first? Go for it, man. Yep. All right. I only have uh, one, I think, this week. Um, it's uh, Human Impact. Um, they're sort of like an industrial rock band, um, very aggressive, super good. I just saw them last night live at Market Hotel in Brooklyn and Market Hotel is actually a really great venue too. So if you see any shows, uh, I recommend that place too. Um, it does not look like a venue from the outside. 
Um, doesn't sound like yeah. a venue either. No, it sounds like a hotel. It was super weird. Yeah. Uh, and it's like yeah. a triangle shape. Like, and actually w- behind the band, there's a huge window and you can see the, the J train go by like every few minutes. Oh, it was kind of cool watching these bands just like tear it apart and then the train go by in the background every once in a while. So yeah, uh, Human Impact, it's uh, members of uh, uh, Unsane, Cop Shoe Cop and Swans. And this is their new band. They already have two records out. Both of them are super good. Check that out. Very cool. Um, I got a couple of recommendations this time. First off, uh, one thing I wanted to mention, Lucian, the first time I saw you was actually at What The Fest um, here in New York. When you did the Q&A with uh, Maria after the Hail Satan documentary. So um, I remember. Yeah, that was that was a really cool thing. So it was really cool for you to come on the show and everything and like, you know, have us talk to you on this. Aside from just what I had seen from the Q&A, like everything you talked about was really cool with this. And obviously the documentary is incredible and people should watch that. Um, But I will do a couple of other recommendations really quick. Um, Two movies that are on opposite sides of the spectrum of the same scenario. The first one is the good one. Uh, It's called Tailgate and it's on Shudder. And it's a road rage movie from, it's a Dutch road rage movie. Um, and it's awesome. It's like a road rage slasher. Uh, very, very cool movie. Now on the opposite side of the spectrum of road rage movies, this one is so bad that it's good. And it's called Unhinged. And it stars Fat Russell Crowe. And it's awesome. Because <laughs> it's super, super terrible. Um, but super fun as well. Um, and then music, the new Emigrate album. Uh, I just watched that. Uh, yeah. Emigrate. That one just dropped, uh, I think, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, or something like that. So check that out as well. The Romstein side project? Yeah, it's the Romstein side project. And it's it, it's interesting because it doesn't sound like Romstein um, at all. Like, it's his own thing. Um, it's like, the best way to put it is like, it's a modernized modernized take on like 80s synth metal so it's not industrial like Romstein is it's definitely got more of like an 80s like almost synth pop mixed with heavy metal and it's it's very cool it sounds very very cool so oh um i am going to uh we had our friend johnny taylor on earlier this week um and he said to say hi, Lucian. I think you did his uh, podcast too. Um, I did, yeah. yeah, yeah well, hello to hello to yeah. Johnny Taylor. Yeah, he is. A, he's a he's a good dude, good friend of ours. Um, um, I, I I I recommended this Odd Future, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to recommend early Odd Future stuff. Um, and revisit it all. It's all so good. Um, go please go to YouTube and search Odd future fallon it's a uh, oh super good it's super good it's like one of the best live performances ever on jimmy fallon no less um so um and uh they kind of treat jimmy pretty funny um tyler the creator like jumps on it's actually their first television performance and i just think it's incredibly talented it's it's a horror themed uh um i know you hate i know tyler hates when they're called horrorcore but i'm just going to it's a horror themed production um on the stage and it's just it's just very 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 good um check that out um movie wise i'm going to suggest uh, random acts of violence that is on 
um, Shutter. Um, it is absolutely, I, dear Shutter. By the way, I'm having trouble with your app on my on my Roku. It keeps logging itself out, and then I have to reinstall it. So, Shutter folks, please uh, help me. Help me. You're my only hope. Um, but Random Acts of Violence is very good. Um, Covers some of my favorite stuff, uh, comic books and and slasher horror, and they how they combine. It's about a uh, comic book writer who uh, who uh, somebody uh, who writes a comic book about a slasher, and somebody is uh, doing the slashing from the comic books on it. So that's very good. I strongly suggest it. Good, uh, solid, well paced uh, uh, slasher flick. Uh, good gore and um, stuff. Um, and I'm going to recommend a book this week that I'm, uh, I'd like to say I'm reading, but I'm actually like listening to it because I drive a lot for work right now. It is, uh, it is Anoka. Uh, it's a collection of indigenous horror by Shane Hawk. Um, he's an indigenous uh, a horror writer. And there, um, it's a collection of, uh, he's got a bunch of stuff out, but it's a collection of his stories. And it's, uh, it's a damn good introduction to his work. So um, please dig in. Anoka by Shane Hawk. Lucian, what do you got? Uh, check out my friend Jason Lennox. Um, I guess uh, look him up on Twitter or look up his name. He's coming out with the uh, satanic uh, coloring book, which I contributed art to. Um, certainly look at uh, the products and books of uh, Shiva Honey. Um, she's you know, she did uh, guest vocals on Satanic Planet, and she's put out a Satanic book on death and dying, and she's also put out a book of ritual practices for Satanism. And also check out uh, the new book by Lilith Starr. She's another one of ours from uh, Seattle, and she recently wrote a book about what it is like being a TST Satanist. And you know, really check out this band, Satanic Planet. I think I think they did a really great, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> a really great uh, first album. And and you know, hoping that we can get on the road and, and do some live shows and you know, make people oh, more aware of this project. I think it, but yeah, I, I think it'll it'll really find its crowd. Yeah, that would be a great live show too. Super fun. Yeah, I, I really can't wait. Um, so, so one question I do have right before we go is when is the, when is the best time to say hail Satan as a hello, as a goodbye, or just when you feel like it? No, the best time is when you're at the, uh, the family gathering before like Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner or right. you know, yeah. Christmas morning, scream it out. <laughs> yes. When, when grandma when grandma tells you to say grace when you don't want to, just be like, all right, you know what? Fine. You want me to say grace? I got you, grandma. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I have noticed it seems like people uh say hail Satan more when they're signing off than when they sign on. Right. Okay. You know, it's it's not so much it seems like it's less a greeting as it is a uh you know, a, a farewell. Yeah. I think it could be both, but, but I, but I, but I just, I, I didn't, I didn't want, you know, I just wondered like, you know, if so uh, anyways, thank you so much for uh, your time and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, uh, keep doing what yes. you're doing in Texas. I hope that's going good. I meant to dig into that today, but uh, um, where can people support you? Where, where, where's a, uh, where can people uh, help your, help your fight to, uh, um, cause you're, you're fighting a, a good fight in Texas about um, with uh, against uh, the, uh, the anti-woman bill um, and all that. So um, where can they uh, 
do that? Yeah, check out our website, thesatanictemple.com. Don't forget to put the, the in the, in okay. the, in the full URL. It's thesatanictemple.com. Um, I hate Facebook with a passion and, and I wish the company would be utterly destroyed and Mark Fuckerberg would be thrown in prison, but right. I, I have an account on there, a fan account, but that's mostly because that site has held me hostage to the fact that they won't pull down imposter accounts if I were to delete it. Um, right. But I, I am active on Twitter, so I can be found there and people can kind of keep up with, with me and us in that way. Cool. I also have a Patreon page, which is kind of how I make my income. You can read this stuff there without paying anything, but if you, you know, if you are able, you know, uh, to to subscribe and throw in any amounts, that's appreciated too. Awesome. Uh, and um, so go to t go to the Satanic Temple, do their Patreon, and then go to ours and do our newly released Patreon too. Um, so um, you know because uh, so we can bring you more excellence. Not that we won't we'll stop, but like you know we have some cool stuff on there. Uh, we just released that this week. Go check it out. Um, big thank you to all of our listeners. We've uh, we are getting more and more uh, every day, um, and uh, the. Um, uh, the amount in the first hour or two of dropping a new episode is blowing my mind. So thank you to all our listeners for tuning in and, uh, and uh, making this a, uh, this a reality like this. Um, we, uh, um, to be able to talk to uh, amazing people like Lucian and, uh, and uh, all the people that we've talked to lately um, is, is absolutely great. And if you're listening to us for the first time, uh, we have tons of great content back out. Go check out our Justin Pearson episode where we talk more about Satanic Planet. Go, go to listen to our Kyle Kinane episode where we discuss, you know, with one of the funniest guys alive. We have uh, so much great uh, stuff out there. We have, um, and we're, uh, we're uh, really glad to be part of this and do it. If you have suggestions, uh, leave them on it. And most of, all, most of all, a big, uh, big, during this holiday season, um, or anytime, but if you are having a tough time and the narrative of life doesn't fit with the, with, with you, the narrative of your supposed life doesn't fit with your real life. Um, and, and you're having a tough time, um, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you and, uh, and take care of yourself. Um, this is a tough time of year for a lot of people and we are here to support each other and we all do this together. Um, uh, we love you all and please take care of yourself. Um, um, go start some fires and break some glass and hail Satan. Hail Satan. Jonas. Hail Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get one from Lucian just because? Hail Satan. There we go. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Y'all take care. Thank you.